Welcome back to the Red Dice Stories with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about religious ceremonies and RPGs. So, doing religious ceremonies in your game mm-hmm. can be a bit of a minefield. If it's done well, it can be really good fun. But often it's either skipped over entirely or worse still it's dragged out till the players fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, that's So fair. we're going to be talking about where the balance is, how we find that balance and how we make it work. And quick note, uh, I've tried to keep real-life religion out of this as much as possible. So we're going to use the word priest to refer to the role of religious community leaders. Okay. We're, ge- we're going to use the words the faithful PCs to refer to player characters, druid, cleric, monk, paladin, any of the religious-themed player classes. You could find some element of that when we're referring to faithful PCs. Believers is anyone, whether it's a player or an NPC, who's actively participating in a religious ceremony in a game. Temple is any place of worship, anything from a stone circle to a grand building. Okay. If people are meeting there, it's a temple. Priesthood for any organisation that grows up around a temple and gods for any kind of deities. Okay. There's lots and lots and lots of words for all of these things and it's easier if we just stick to one set of them. So what are religious ceremonies? It's any formalised act with a religious meaning. So it's saying God bless you when someone sneezes. Right, okay. It's the entire process of selecting a new high priest of the most powerful religion in your world. And it's everything in between. I was going to say, yeah, so we're going like right from the sort of top-level grandiose ceremonies down to like little sort of almost like folk sort of superstitions. Like mm-hmm. you said, like saying bless you when you sneeze, that sort of thing. Cool. And the more people that are involved in it, the more formal the occasion, generally speaking, the longer the ceremony will take in real time. But that doesn't need to equate to game time. So, for example, a wedding between two powerful noble houses is probably going to be a three-day event. But in-game, unless there's some important story stuff going on there, it doesn't need to take more than 30 seconds. Yeah, I was going to say, presumably the amount of time you would spend in terms of, like, game time is, as you say, Mm -hmm. sort of judged by, you know, like, how... Well, one, how important is it to the story? And two, how much are the players interested in it? Because if it's not important to your story, but the players are loving it, great. (laughs) So the other thing to bear in mind is how formal the ceremony is often correlates with the priest's rank in the priesthood and the social rank of the people attending the ceremony. So basically, more money in, more pomp out. Yeah, more dollar (laughs) equals more ceremony. Uh, Different types of religious ceremonies basically falls into four four categories. We've got personal rituals, rites of passage, religious advancement, and services. 
Okay. So personal rituals would be um, things that anyone might do in their own home or things that are regularly done in like the community church. So acts of worship, acts of thanksgiving, acts of ablution, that's like religious cleansing. So like your local festival, like your harvest festival and stuff in like yeah. your village and stuff like that. Um, meditation or prayer. Yeah. That, yeah. That's all stuff that's like small and personal and that's really interesting for world building. And it's really interesting as like an outlet for creative players that want to help with the world building. And there's a lot you can do with just those if the players are interested. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the only, the only sort of issue I can potentially see with these personal rituals is obviously if you've got like a person who wants to like engage with that, then it's obviously very interesting to them. But if it's personal and it's only to one of the players, mm-hmm. but you know you don't really want to spiral off your game into like half an hour of dinner with that. So yeah, again, it's finding this balance. Now, if you've got a player who's really interested in playing a character where that is suited to that character, and they want to get involved with it, yeah, get them to write down what the daily personal rituals are, what the day, whatever. Have a note of it, and then you automatically know what that player's probably going to be doing at any time of day and you can instantly go into it. If they're not doing that for whatever reason, you can let the player know that they haven't been able to do it for for that game reason and talk about how that affects their character. Yeah, I think that's um, a very valid approach. And the rest of the time, it's there on the bit of paper. Everybody knows it's going on. You don't need to role play it unless it's important to the story. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great idea. Because I mean, there's a lot of things that sort of we assume happen in the background of like RPGs. So like, let's let's take a really like, obvious example: sharpening your weapons. Mm-hmm. If you're an adventurer, you're like a fighter. You're fighting things with your broadsword all day, every day. Obviously, you sharpen your weapon, or it'd be dull AF, and you wouldn't be able to hit anything. Well, yeah, if your fighter's got to maintain his tools on a regular basis, so is your priest. Exactly. I mean, but we don't have like every session. We don't have a scene where we're like, "Oh, the fighter's there with his like whetstone, mecha roll, or whatever." We just assume it happens. Mm-hmm. So I like the idea that, let's say, the players could give you a little bit of detail and say, "Yo, this is what I do every morning in my prayers," and you assume it's happening. And then maybe okay, what, what I like to do when I've got players who do stuff like that is just occasionally you drop a mention of it and it might just be something as simple as like they've been on watch and you go oh you finish your watch and you finish saying your prayers for the evening and you go back to sleep and you don't need to say anything more about it because they know what their prayers are and you've just dropped in a little mention of Mm -hmm. it to add that little bit of flavor but it's not taken away from anyone else's screen time so the next thing to look at is rites of passage which are really useful to mark big events in the plot or to create plot hooks. Okay. And the first one to look at is weddings. Dead simple. If you've got two players or a player and an NPC who you've had a romance story with, a wedding is a really good way to give that story a tie-up at the end of the campaign or a good way to advance it to the next level of the story, effectively. And I should point out here, I think Hannah means player characters, unless you have got two players who want to get hitched mid-game. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it's beyond the bounds of possibility. Two players who want their characters to get hitched mid-game. <laughs> you can't beat a bit of the old butate. Butate. Yeah, obviously, we've talked about romance stories in games before. 
let's not go on a tangent. Yeah. Other rites of passage, funerals. Yep. And speaking of funerals, I'd like to take this opportunity to plug a supplement that I'm a big fan of. It's a compatible with DCC, so Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, supplement called the Forgotten Rites of the Mouldering Dead by Don Stroud. But it's pretty much compatible with any sort of D&D slash OSR style game. And it covers a lot of stuff about the dead and undead and stuff like that. But there's a lot of tables at the back of it which you can use to randomly come up with like sort of styles of like um, rites of remembrance and funeral rites and stuff like that. It's really cool and it's very useful because you're just like, oh, we've rolled up to a random church, there's a funeral going on. And there's always going to be a player who's like, what's going on at this funeral? And if you're like me, you've probably not like thought down to the nth mm-hmm. degree about like what funerals are like. So you might just go with a bit of a pastiche of like the real world ones. But you could make it a bit more interesting. But if you've not put time into it, you're not comfortable with like freestyling it completely off the cuff. Uh, supplement like Forgotten Rights of the Moldering Dead, where you can just like do a few cheeky rolls on a table and be like, oh yeah, they um uh, they uh they lay the body out so that like birds can come down and like feed on the flesh and carry it to the sky like an air burial sort of deal. And it's great fun. And in fact, I'm going to roll a couple of dice now and come up with a random right. Now, as you might hear in the background as we're doing this, the heavens have just opened, which is definitely not ominous at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to roll on table 3.1 in Forgotten Rights of the Moldering Dead, which is a table for the treatment of the dead. And it's in the rights of the dead section. So my first roll is a 6. So that means that they bury their dead in a mausoleum, ossuary, or tomb, often haunted by cats, as you can no doubt hear in the background. And we lead on to that, we roll a D3. I've got a 3, and it says, The bones are arranged and stacked in columns and decorative structures. So with a couple of quick rolls there, you've got like a nice springboard, and there's other tables you could use to elaborate Mm -hmm. on that, and sort of do like funeral rites and what sort of music accompanies them and where they have mourners and stuff like that but it's all very easy sort of flavorable stuff to add to your game so having said we weren't gonna go off on the tangent yeah my bad sorry about that folks but you know i love me some random tables the next rite of passage on my list is births yeah you're lucky i've not got any random tables for that you say (laughs) coming of age rites okay uh confirmation What, what do you mean by confirmation well, that's sort of like swearing your fealty to the church, All effectively. Right, okay. It's um, something that happens in a lot of Christian churches when you're about 13, 14, where effectively you say, yeah, as well as being christened, I want to be acknowledged as a member of this church okay. and do a little service for that. Um Similarly, there's lots of other rituals in many other faiths that take place at about the same age that effectively mark you as being... Of that church. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we should have said temple there, but never mind. It's fine. And then that obviously leads into oaths of fealty to, like, your lord, your king. Yeah, so the more feudal vibe. Those sorts of things. um, Or the sort of oaths like Don Quixote takes where you're swearing to God that you will complete the quest. Um, And then another one is feast days, which is obviously a rite of passage of time. And there's all sorts of those in 
every religion yeah days when people don't do their normal job yeah. they go to you eat special the temple foods instead. gift giving stuff like that you know so next reason for religious ceremonies that i've got on my list is the religious advancements and a good story hook for this is when a faithful pc is leveling up or when a priest character is being raised in status within the priesthood and sort of as a subcategory of that you might have religious honors like a knighthood or yeah like when some sort of reward or award or like a coronation yeah yeah you count that under that list yeah, if you're going for like that whole like divine right of rulership sort of deal yeah. and then there's actual services that the temple offers to the community as a whole because if nothing else the temple is like a place for the community to meet up for people to see each other to be nosy at each other and it's always going to serve that purpose so next thing on my list of services absolution so what do you mean by absolution so that's when you've committed a sin you're very sorry for it you somehow tell God and God somehow forgives you. Okay. Uh, Usually there is a temple or a priest involved somewhere in this process and usually uh, it involves money or work changing hands. I was going to say, why am I sensing a bunk to the (laughs) temple coming up? Um, Yeah, we're not going to talk about real world religion. We're going to move right on to the next thing on the list, which is something that a lot of D and D groups will use a temple for, which is healing. Yep. And or in D and D, resurrection, depending on your GM and your game world. And it's important to know, and for the players to know, whether or not that's an option. Yep and how often it would be allowed to happen and how difficult it would be. I see you sneering at it, but some groups want easy resurrection. Yeah, it's, it's fair games. enough. Some people like resurrection. To to me, I'm just not a fan of the, like, oh, <clears throat> put, put another dollar in the slot and, like, try again, because you've died. That's what it feels like to <clears throat> me. I've got an extra life. Nah. And the last one on that list is exorcism, which, again complex religious ceremony lots of different religions have lots of different forms of this yeah i mean casting out evil spirits and like demons and whatnot you know it's going to happen at some point in a dnd game yeah and similarly many of the things that historically would have been considered exorcism would now be considered healing of diseases um or whatever um it doesn't have to be specifically that to be that type of ceremony is what I'm getting at there and most big ceremonies are going to include more than one of these yeah I suppose what we're saying is and not going into too much detail obviously like in the real world we know that like most sort of what would have been considered like demonic possession wasn't whereas obviously in a fantasy game just because there are actual demons doesn't necessarily mean every sort of case of inverted commas demonic possession is actually demonic possession yeah uh, um, especially with your you're like generic superstitious D peasants you know and yeah every time i think about exorcism i end up thinking about the many times you've had epileptic seizures and 
That's right. I really do understand why people used to think that actual demons were inhabiting people, because it's very, very believable if you don't understand that weird things can happen in brains and make you do that. The only thing I find a bit unbelievable in terms of like, and I also understand why in history they made this sort of that sort of mistake, but like I find it a bit unlikely in D and D that you know when you've got scheming devils that they'd be like some demons are like, oh, I want to like be a big mover and shaker in this world. I know what'll help me do that. I'm going to possess that tubby role player there. <laughs> he, he looks like he's got his finger on the pulse and he knows what's going on. He's obviously got some influence in the world. Let me just like, slide into his like DMs and like work out what's going on. <laughs> Who knows, maybe it really furthered the cause of demon kind for you to, like, smash up that one computer and... <laughs> That's it, they're, they're like, oh, how can we start the end? That's right, we're going to buy all the roleplay books in the world! Oh, dear. So, yeah, next thing to look at as to how your religious ceremonies are going to go in yeah. your game is do the gods of your world care about worship mm. and if so why and i've got quite a few different ideas written down here chime cool. in hit me with some ideas then lay them on so, me so we've got the lovecraftian idea that gods are alien monsters that consume the souls that their worshippers send to them be it the actual souls of the worshippers or the souls of people that are sacrificed by them also in like the sort of lovecraftian vibe there's that hot i mean lovecraftian like some of the entities in lovecraft seem to have like a mad on for like creating like half like breed like kids and that's often portrayed as like that's the the way they can sort of gain entrance to our world they're sort of kept out most of the time you know that until like the stars are right or whatever or until like the gateways open normally by one of like the half breed like kids. So the worship creates the yeah, young great. which allows the god to enter the ro- world. Yeah, it's effectively uh-huh. like the um, the worship and like the sacrifice. It's like a sort of psychic terraforming of our world to make it appropriate for them to move into. Mm-hmm. So then. If I'm going to talk Lovecraft, I'm going to have to talk Discworld as well. Oh, yeah, because, obviously, you know. because the two are like that. <laughs> it's the two lots of uh, stuff that we reference the most that isn't Star Trek. Um, well, well, that's it, in case you haven't worked out, guys, in case you're having trouble guessing, I like Cthulhu and Hannah likes Discworld. <laughs> so, um, Terry Pratchett has this idea that gods are shaped by, created by, and therefore reflect their believers and that what the believer thinks the god should do is what the god will do and therefore if the god would care about worship that's because the believers think it should yeah it's like a sort of feedback loop isn't it yeah effectively the the worshippers like create the god and its behavior and by following that behavior the god reinforces their belief and it just goes round and round Mm mm-hmm so he also, in um, The Last Hero, I think it is, has this idea that worship brings God's prestige among other gods. So there's, like, the city of the gods, and, yeah, they're all living in fantastic great halls and whatever, but some of the great halls are, like, at the bottom and the edge of the city, and some of them are the really big ones in the city centre, you know, and... 
it's the ones with the greater worship that get the better spot effectively and this idea that that's part of what makes them want to have more believers and have more worship that it's effectively um currency in their world yeah well you know me i'm all about that old god of hangovers (laughs) so next idea as to why your god might care about worship is the idea that god is effectively a parent to the people it's created and loves them and wants them to love it back okay and yeah um maybe that's a reason to sit there and worship your god uh there's also this idea that gods can be sort of mercantile effectively that you give something to god and god will return something to you so you make a sacrifice and god will bless your harvest well yeah obviously we saw that in like um ancient greece where they had you might like believe zeus is like the the leader of all the gods but if you're going out in your boat you best believe you like drop off a sacrifice to like Poseidon on the way because you're like he's the one in charge of the waters like best keep him sweet so my fishing boat comes back nice and safe so yeah uh also looking at the sort of classical gods um more sort of norse god the idea that you should worship the god to avoid them cursing you um I've listed it as the bully god idea, uh, that you'd put something like um, a symbol on your door to prevent Loki from entering, or... Have you seen the yellow sign? If you say so. (laughs) So then, yeah, uh, a bit out there, but what if there aren't any gods in the D&D world? And what if? the priesthood is just made up of con artists madmen and well-meaning misinformed people who just use a type of arcane magic in a different way well there was actually i forget exactly where it was and in what version of D might be a dnd i'm sure someone can like call up and let us know that there was this idea that up to a certain level of like clerics but i think it was third or fourth you didn't actually have to have a god. Like, your belief could empower you sufficiently to get that level. But if you went beyond that, you actually needed, like, a god, like, putting, like, the divine juice behind it. So, another idea for not having gods within the game, um, a more sort of nature-themed or, like, Buddhist ideal of there being a faith without a god as such, Um, either the creator deity has stepped away and no longer interacts with the world or was never able to interact with the world or there just isn't a creator deity of any type. Um, And then ceremonies still happen because people still need to mark the passage of time. Of course, yeah. People still want to mark these important events in their own life, these rites of passage, and ceremony still comes up around it. But that could again make for quite an interesting element to a D&D world. Mm. And then final reason for worshipping gods, which I'm sure anyone who is faithful who's listening to this would entirely agree with, and I haven't really got an argument against. If God made the world, God must be great, and people should say thank you. If you believe that, it makes perfect sense. (laughs) 
Um, so, yeah, when and why to use religious ceremonies in your game. So first up, you could take the option of saying, don't do it at all. But if you do that, what's the point of playing a faithful PC? Why are you playing a paladin instead of a fighter? Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you're going to take that option, and you've, it's, I mean, if you've not got anyone playing like a faithful PC, mm-hmm. that, that that may be fine. Mm-hmm. But if you've got someone who's like, oh, I want to play a cleric or something, they must at least have some slight interest in the religious like aspect of the character, even if it's just like a nod and they just really like the cleric spells. You know, but you're still playing a cleric or a paladin or whatever. So I don't think it's really fair just to like get rid of it all if you've got someone who's um, mm-hmm. even slightly interested in that. So, next option is to have it constantly throughout the game all the time. But if you do that, you've got no time to play the rest of the game. Yeah, I think as well, as much as it's not really fair on a person who's interested if you get rid of it completely... It's also not really fair on the people who don't care about it to have it like overwhelm your entire game. But one thing that I could say might be a useful way to use a religion that expects its people to be very heavily engaged is if you've got a player who's got a very difficult schedule, you can say that, oh, they're not at this bit of the session because they're engaged in some religious act and then as soon as they're able to attend they can drop in if they need to leave early they can drop out and it's all because their character's like heavily heavily into whatever religious thing they're doing off doing those daily rituals that we talked about earlier so you can drop someone in and out of a game without it having huge impact on your game because Mm. you've got an excuse for why their character does that um, but yeah, for me, it should either be a little thing that goes on in the background, like we talked about at the start of the um, episode, or to mark an important part of the story. Yeah. So, effectively, I see it as an occasional alternative to a boss fight. Maybe the boss fight was really easy, and you want to put like a little bit more of a cherry on the top of your cake, effectively. It can be a way to do that. I think it can also serve as a handy way of like starting a session, because mm-hmm. like let's say you get to the end of a session and like one of the the, the player characters is about to like marry an NPC or something, or there's going to be a big harvest festival. You could start the next session like just giving a very brief description of the ceremony, and then kick off the next session at the end of that ceremony. So you've still sort of covered it and you've got a flavour of it, but you've not had to devote an entire session to it. So I've got a few different ways you could use it that help in a game. Okay. Um, So, as I've said, highlighting big events in a story, um, just as you suggested, something like the Star Wars medal-giving ceremony, just something to make sure everybody knows that this went well, if perhaps they're not quite sated from the final boss fight. And let's face it, 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 whatever you use, whether it's a religious ceremony or not, it is nice occasionally as players to just have like the NPCs or like obviously that's the GM surrogate sort of like confirm that like yeah you've done really well in this you've like you've like smashed it you've like killed that bad guy or whatever so having like the local villagers be like oh yeah a priest holding a ceremony to say thank you for like killing the evil necromancer it's just a nice like, like a nice extra like bit of a cherry on top of the cake. So. um 
as a dramatic way to highlight a big event in your story. So a lot... If the players have decided that they want to go and get a miracle, for whatever reason, first up, they've got to go and track down the high priest of whatever and persuade him to perform the miracle. Then they've got to go and get the sacred herbs from Mount Far Away. And then they've got to go and recover the holy symbol from the demons of somewhere nasty. After they've done all that... Do you know, I'm starting to think you don't put much effort into the names in your games. After they've done all that, they want to know how the high priest is going to use those herbs and that symbol to make that miracle happen. And even if you only take 30 seconds to describe it, it makes the adventure where they had to go and get the herbs and the adventure where they had to go and get the holy symbol, it ties it all together and gives you that payoff. Yeah, definitely. So, as a backdrop for human interest stories, which um, mystery stories, you've been watching an insane amount of Poirot in the last two weeks. May we? And a temple could be a really like interesting backdrop for those sorts of stories. Um, you've got the priests, you've got the people that are going in and out of the temple for whatever reason. You've maybe got people who are like faithful PCs who are connected to that place for whatever reason. And it wouldn't have to be a murder mystery, maybe it could be a jewel theft. I'm sure Poirot <laughs> does involve himself in other things as well as those two. Um, well, I was going to say, practically any... The reason it's so useful for that is because any situation where you've got a lot of like people so in close proximity, there's always going to be chatter going on, and it's a great opportunity for the player characters to like hear things and for the GM to drop clues in. And now it can be a bit challenging if there's loads of NPCs to keep track of them, but... You don't need to like detail all of them, you know, like, oh, yeah, there's a couple of like old people from the village, and one of them was like, oh, do you remember last winter when old farmer Joskin's like cow escaped and killed that stranger to the village when it went on a rampage? And that could link into something else, and you can drop all manner of like information in a situation where it seems natural that people would be talking about things mm-hmm. and just generally gossiping. And it's a good place to have lots of people that wouldn't normally connect yes or be in one place at once for whatever reason you want them to for the story yeah it's a good opportunity like you say to have um because obviously there's a sort of pseudo feudal vibe in like D, like different social classes it's a good opportunity to have like the different social classes like mingle a little bit more than they otherwise might so next on the list is as a creative outlet for the players. And you're going to have to tread really carefully with this and make sure that your players are really clear on how long you want this to take and how much input they've got about how your world works and how the services and ceremonies in your world works. But it can be a really good, fun way to do this kind of thing. And it's a really good way to get people in on the collaboration and get people's ideas to help with your world building. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of this comes down to like how well you know and how much you trust your players. It's like, mm-hmm. I've had a few occasions in my old school essentials campaign where someone said, I can't, I'm going to make a speech about 
my hometown or I'm going to do this ceremony and I've just been like great just like freestyle it we'll, we'll run what you've got because I know I'm happy with my players I, I know that they're not going to take the mick too much so I'm quite happy to let them run with it whereas I might not be I might not be quite so happy if it was like people I didn't know as well and it's something where now and then if it's done without slowing down the game mm. you want to reward the player that's put the effort into writing the prayer for the healing spell and adding drama to the game yeah and maybe give them a boost for the role on that healing spell but you also don't want to have to hear that healing spell every time they give someone one hit point back and make sure that they're clear on that yeah, I mean, I, I think it's as well, you have to be careful with this sort of creative world in there, like, you have to sort of gauge how interested and invested in it the players are, because there's nothing worse for the pacing if you suddenly turn to someone and be like, all right, you're giving this religious ceremony, right, go ahead. And they're like, um, um, oh, oh. Yeah, and your game again. grinds to a halt. So, um, next thing on this list, and we'll, we'll come back to that. Um Hallelujah! <laughs> is is as a way to advise your players or get plot hooks in so need your adventure group to get involved in a story someone at the temple came and asked them to um, if you need a way to drop a hint or a detail that the players have missed in the earlier part of the story they could have a vision or the priest could remind them of something that they've already heard in their sermon plus I mean it's, it's a tried and tested classic of like the the group has a regular temple that they go to for like the healing when they need it when they beat up from the dungeons and yeah they heal them they, they probably pay like a pittance for it and then like the temple who's been like healing them all up suddenly it's like you know we've giving you all that healing <laughs> well, we've, we've like got some trouble like could you like, help us out with it and you sort of feel a bit obligated to because you're like we're probably going to want some more healing mm. off these guys in future. They might not be so keen if they're just like, oh, you're the guys who blew us off and like didn't like, help mm. us out and we had all that trouble. So, you know, you sort of feel a bit obligated to help out. And it also allows you to build on something that's already in the game. So the temple isn't just, oh, it's the place where we go and we get 2d6 hit points back, mm. or whatever it is. Yeah, so it can become a base of operations for the faithful PCs. It can become a base of operations for everyone because... If you have a temple, even if there's no priests there, you still have the people who maintain the temple, the people who visit the temple, the people who trade with the visitors and their families and their servants and all the hangers-on. And there's something, there's always a reason that your character can be in a temple or around a temple. So it's a good like campaign meeting up point, as you say, as well. Yeah, and it's something a bit more interesting than the standard like tavern, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it also, as you've rightly said a couple of times, sort of it allows you to like elaborate a little bit on the background of your world without just having to do like a massive law dump on people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just as we've talked about the idea of um, gods or no gods. I want to look at the idea of priests or no priests in these ceremonies because, for example, many, many years ago in the UK, if two people said they were married to each other, that was it, they were married. Then along came a law that said that a priest had to be involved and write it on a piece of paper. Yep. 
But up until that time, certainly in the UK, I assume throughout most of the world, there was no priest involved in that ceremony. Do you know what? I'm surprised they've not found a way to monetize getting people married. <laughs> now let's not get into that. I'm not, I'm not a bit of that, <laughs> honestly. But, yeah, a lot of religions have this idea that some people are more holy than others and that some people's prayers are more likely to be heard than others. Yep. And a lot of ceremonies effectively involve persuading those people to persuade God to do something for you or act on your behalf or help you in some way. And obviously we can see this sort of built into D&D because, let's face it, the default way most deities interact with the world, certainly in older versions of D&D, is cleric spells. But it's been sort of very firmly stated in numerous editions that not all faithful priests are clerics in terms of their class. It's only really like the adventuring ones who like need that power boost or that are especially favoured by the deities that get those spells, those devotional powers so it seems enshrined in D&D to me that the gods sort of prioritise their worshippers if you will mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be a precise mechanic no. it's up to the GM who to decide how prayers work when the gods are listening and when they're not listening and when they'll intercede and when they'll not intercede but it is also quite important for the players to have like a working understanding of how in-game people believe it works yeah so even if that turns out to be like completely wrong they need a working understanding of it to interact with other people in the story if it's going to be relevant to your story and if you've got a faithful pc yeah it's going to be relevant to your story in some way so yeah um a good priest character can be a really good ally in a mystery story. Oh, yeah. Um, a bad priest character can be a terrible enemy if he's got the power of the temple behind him. Yeah, entirely agree with you. I mean, like we said, we talked about I've been watching a lot of like murder mysteries recently. Mm-hmm. How often do, like, does like, the detective go to like the village and there's the local like parish priest or whatever? Because mm-hmm. they're like a figure in the community who like, knows everything that's going on. They're in touch with a lot of people. They're a good source of information. And as you say, like the evil cultist or the evil priest is like a sort of archetypal villain that's been around for like ages. So, yeah, it's an interesting idea to have a D&D society that doesn't have these priest-type characters, but they can be really useful. And obviously, as a player character, it can be really fun to play the local priest. Yeah. Um, particularly, as you say, in the sort of um, Cthulhu-type mystery stories set in, like, the early 20th century, that's a really good character to have, like, access to all the information. Um, That translates neatly over to D&D. Yeah. So, yeah, finding the balance for how big to make your ceremonies and how to put them into your game... Mm-hmm. First question to ask yourself Do your players want to see it? Do your players want to participate in it? Because if the answer is no, you may as well stop. You that. may as well not worry about it, yeah. Next question is 
do you want or need the scene in the game? And again, answers no to that. Don't bother. Your players don't want it, you don't need it, you don't want it. Leave it there. If you think your players do want a little set piece and you do want to include that in your game and you think it would advance the story of the game, there's a few sort of other things to look at. Yeah, I was going to say as well, it's a shame not to not to reference it entirely if you're running like a fantasy game because having sort of like gods and stuff like that, it's like a big part of most sort of fantasy worlds. So I think even if you've got people who are like, no, we're not really into that religious vibe, it'd be a shame not to at least give like a little background nod to it even if mm-hmm. the game doesn't really focus on it. So, yeah, subtle little things. Again, like we were saying, um, God bless you when someone sneezes. Yeah. Or having a particular greeting that people of the faithful say to each other it just gives you that little bit of immersion without taking up loads of game time without putting loads of pressure on someone to perform a set piece it builds on it without wasting time or upsetting people so next question to ask yourself is do any of the players want to write it or want to be involved in it are any of the players going to be the ones that are performing this ceremony? So you're sort of coming back to your like collaborative idea there. Mm-hmm. And again, you need your players to be up for it and you need to know where the boundaries are. Um, but a lot of game worlds really can thrive on that sort of collaboration. And last thing to look at is do you want to write it yourself? Because if the answer to you and your players is no there's still plenty of stuff you can pilfer off the internet to oh yeah put it into your story and make it work and obviously you can start with real world religious writings and ceremonies as a jump off point but there is also loads of fanfic about all sorts of things written by gamers fantasy authors for these purposes there's also as well there's like so many different like types of pantheon other than like monotheistic and like polytheistic which are the the, like the more common ones and just like going into like wikipedia and typing like types of pantheons or whatever you might just be able to like look at one and be like oh i've not considered like a dualist pantheon and that might just spark off an idea and you could do something different still have the gods but do something a bit different from the normal my tips for putting a religious ceremony into your game point one no longer than 10 minutes for a big scripted piece any more than that and people will just get bored and only do that if it's going to have a really bigger impact on the story generally speaking you want to keep it under three minutes okay number two make sure the ceremony reflects the god and the purpose of the ceremony. So going back to where we were talking about the different types of God and why they might want your worship, and going back to the different types of ceremony and what purpose they serve. Number three, make sure it advances the story somehow. Yeah, because if you're going to put it in your story and it doesn't have any impact at all, what's the point having it in there? You may as well just not dwell on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Number four, make sure there's something for the players to do, which doesn't have to involve dice rolls. 
even if what they're doing is listening to the priest, it still involves them somehow. So, we've talked a bit about religious ceremonies. So, let's say you have decided to use them. How do you like keep people engaged and like stop them like tuning out during a session? So, this is where audience participation is your friend. Okay. And I want to talk about three examples here of things that I think are great audience participation. The first up is a thing that they do in Catholic churches at the end of a service. And whatever else I might think about the Catholic church, this is a great bit of audience participation. Everybody stands up and shakes hands with everyone around them. And the first person will say, God be with you. And the second person will say, and also with you. And remember, the force will be with you always. It's a really nice gesture. And because it's this very formalised thing, everybody knows what they've got to say. Everybody knows how to do it. And it means everybody sort of has this like brief moment of contact with people they wouldn't normally speak to at all. Next way to... So next good example of audience participation is gospel preachers and I'm particularly thinking of the guy in Babylon 5 oh yeah that rock cried out in a hiding place episode because what he does in that speech and uh, I believe if you look on YouTube for Babylon 5 who is my enemy you will find the speech he keeps asking questions and he keeps waiting for the audience to react he says is it this and people say no 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 is it this? Yes, yes, yes. And it keeps people engaged. Yeah, yeah he's involving the audience, isn't he? And then the last fantastic example that I've seen of audience participation recently, I'm not going to say the name of the person who tells this story because it's in like a little private bard club that we have because we can't go LARPing. And I know that he's sort of embarrassed as to how this audience participation occurred. So he wrote a story called The Portents of Doom. And every time he said Doom in the silly voice, everyone in the audience started going Doom and waving their hands. And now he tells this story every few weeks on this like online club that we have. And everybody joins in online even though we've heard it a hundred times before because it's just so funny every time he says this word to join in and this is very much the same thing that you have with a lot of the sort of audience participation in religious rites because people are waiting for the bit where they have to join in they listen to all the stuff in between so yeah build in little in jokes for of your player group to keep people engaged but also, don't overdo it. Don't break that fourth wall with the little in-jokes. And um, I don't know whether it's breaking the fourth wall or not, but uh, a little in-joke we have to do with our religion in my Old School Essentials campaign is in a previous campaign we played, we had a goal, We had a god called like Gale, who was like the golden angel. And um, at one random point, Johannes, who's like dice rolls are pretty pants most of the time, was like, oh come on, Gail be praised, like roll rolled his dice and he just like smashed the dice roll like crit success. So like even now when they're in a completely different game and like the gods are different, they'll be like, Come on, Gail when they roll the dice. 
So I think that's probably it for this God, episode. We've been chopsing for, been chopsing for like nearly an hour. So hopefully that's given you some ideas for how you can use religious ceremonies in your own games. If you'd like to get in touch, maybe tell us of some particularly interesting incidents of religious ceremonies occurring in your game maybe you'd like to just have a chat or suggest something to appear in a future episode you can get in touch a number of different ways you can leave us a voicemail message on speakpipe there's a link in the description or you can leave us a voicemail on anchor again link down below or you can send finally you can send us an email to rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com and until we see you again take care stay safe we'll catch you soon bye